today my heart is heavy and uh, I'm going to try to just talk it out and see what tumbles out and uh, first I'll get this out of the way last episode was something that maybe should never have happened many days ago I had recorded more than an hour while on a picnic blanket on a little knoll near here where I'm now rowing and um, I started editing it and doing uh, some editing each day and several days passed and then I realized that I just wasn't happy with it at all so I decided that I can just throw it away I've done this before there have been other times in the past when I've recorded whole episodes and then I've decided no, this just wasn't good enough. You know, there can have been any number of things wrong with it. But with this one, I decided maybe I'll just have a little fun. A um, type of fun that is strange enough probably to many. But so I decided I will just cut out little pieces of audio. <clears throat> going in order still through the whole thing so I whenever I came across a phrase or a word even that seemed interesting then I kept that but I deleted everything in between and that resulted in some uh, some sentences that don't in fact reflect my thinking or feelings for example at one point in that episode I call it a collage because that's what it is, a sound collage, and it seemed funnier to me when I was doing it than when later I listened again to it after I had already shared it. But anyway, at one point I say, I like messes, and that was a combination of two entirely different sentences. There's another part where I'm saying something about, I am completely against, and then I continued with something that was not how that sentence continued. It was from a whole later part of that recording. But my point is that it was supposed to be either strange or interesting or funny in various places. And um, it made me laugh while doing it. But when I then after I had already shared it, I started wondering would it have been better not to share this at all? But I'm not going to let myself off the hook. Whichever episode I've posted of this podcast series, that's then there. And um, I decided the best thing I can do is record a new episode and move on. I also, you know, okay, this relates to another thing that just came to mind. Um, and I want to mention it here. Some writers, for example, and composers also, can get into real trouble with this psychologically when they get stuck thinking, should I keep changing this even after change is already made? And should I do another version or edit? Should I delete this or that or add this or that? And in the end, it can... Well, first of all, it definitely will waste a lot of a person's life doing that and second it can become its own monster 
that's always then questioning is this ready to go and uh, having said that of course when I put out a book or a piece of music as a composition like sheet music or an album it's then the best I was able to make it under whatever circumstances existed in my life at that point and uh, of course with the books that I have written as opposed to this podcast series which is spontaneously spoken and then transcribed with everything I have written I mentioned this before but I feel I needed to mention it again because I can't expect um, people to have listened and remembered everything I've said um, and they, this may be even the first episode someone listens to I've said that by the time I publish a book or put out a composition in some form I can justify everything that is included and everything that is not included so with a piece of writing for example we could do this as an experiment sometime if somebody wanted to spend many many hours doing this with me I could actually answer every single question asked in this regard we could go through a story of mine or a poem of mine and they could ask why is this word needed here and particularly in this place you know because maybe they wouldn't question the word being there but maybe they would place it differently or why is there not this why is it not mentioned let's say what type of car somebody is driving or what the color of their skin is so you know there's also things that are not included and um, I often talk about negative space and this is one aspect of it but I could give answers to everything in this regard I could explain why I for example would have used a word this wasn't really something I needed to talk long about I want to talk about some of the things that are connected with this heaviness of heart and spirit first I want to mention something very positive um, and someone who I have come to admire a great deal her name is Lu Doyong I may be pronouncing this very badly uh, it's a French name but you can see the spelling from the table of contents for this episode I discovered her a short time ago when I saw a film in which she appeared and outshone everyone in that film with her performance and uh, how she is as a human being and then I looked up her background and um, what else she had done and discovered that she is a multi-talented artist she does all kinds of things she she can draw and uh, she has been making music writing songs as well as playing as well as singing for many years and uh, so I only recently discovered her and her work and um, I started a YouTube playlist including my so far three favorite songs from her included and um, 
I like how natural she is in those official music videos. And I like how she doesn't do certain things that so many other artists do. And um, the way she is, is just very natural. And uh, I, I know I already said that, but listening to those songs and looking at her makes me feel like I'm seeing and hearing a kindred spirit. There's a link between this and what I'm doing with music at the moment, but I'm talking about my past music because I'm now in the final preparation stages for an album that's going to be called Early Music Archive. It includes all the finished pieces of music from my first decade of making music. I think this is about the 10th year that I've been now on that path and there's going to be 50 tracks, not 15 but 50. I need to still calculate the duration, how long the running time is going to be. So there's music that I created up until about maybe two years ago, after which point I would no longer call it early music. After that I've been uh, doing music in new ways and um, also I feel it's a whole different stage that started at a certain point. Uh, but why 50 and why not 49 or why not 50? Uh, sorry, why not 51? It's because in order to be able to put this on Bandcamp but also to have it then streaming later, there is currently a limit on this distribution platform called CD Baby that if you want to have more than 50 tracks on an album, you would have to send them the music on physical media like CDs or DVDs. Not only don't I want to do that and wait however long it would take to do it that way, but also when I looked at the list of about 80 pieces that I originally thought of including on this album, which would have made for more than three hours of music, when I looked at it and um, considered carefully which are the ones most in need of going on this album instead of being used somewhere else later if I still feel that yes this is good enough. So I was feeling that those 80 or more than 80 pieces would all have been good enough and something I would be happy to share but I was able to prune it down to 50 and this way I will be able to, to release this album soon. I am still staying on topic because I said that there's a link between all this, all these things I'm talking about because, you know, music can be this hyperlink to moments of our past, both good moments and uh, darker moments, every kind of moment. And so 
this has further strengthened my wish to strive to put everything that I create out as soon as I can in the future. I'm still engaged in this backlog phase. I'm needing to go back this far, as far as 10 years ago, uh, when the earliest of the pieces were created that will be on this album. And uh, then the years that followed, and uh, many of those years were very difficult and very dark for me. Not all the music will be dark, but I am trying to say that there's no way to listen to something or read something or whatever the creation is without being also reminded to a greater or lesser extent of the things that were happening in your life at that point. Lu Doyon reminds me of someone she has certain very rare qualities that someone I knew in another lifetime also had. They each are, of course, unique individuals, but all this, you know, mixes and mingles in my thoughts as things do for everyone. The past mixes with the present and thoughts of the future, and so I don't want to end up again in the future being reminded for such a prolonged period of my past as I have had to when going through all this music and other types of audio that I've created in the past. The same happened to some degree also with the book of short stories and the book of poems where I labeled them clearly early short stories and early poems. I wonder if naming them early may have led some people to assume that it means that I'm using that as an almost excusing label. That's not the case. I was happy and satisfied with all the pieces that I included in those books and the same is true of the pieces of music that I'm including here. Now there's a whole set of different things that I want to get said but I don't want to make this too long so I have to choose a path. Okay, I'll, I'll mention this. In the last episode I mentioned, despite it being a purposeful mix of things I said, made into a collage. Well, the part I said about art being a circle, that is how I see it in reality. And I realized later that I left out, even though in my mind it was meant to be there, and it was part of the longer discussion of that whole subject in the original recording of that episode. But anyway, I said Art is a circle. The artist, the creation, then someone to experience the creation. 
but I left out from the collage version the part where the circle then returns and comes back to the creator, the artist. And then the circle is complete. Because no matter how sometimes people try to say, it doesn't matter whether there's anyone to express anything about your art. The main thing should be making the art. I have noticed that almost every time when someone says something like that, they are people who have that kind of support already. They also get that final part of the circle of art. They have people who let them know that they have experienced this piece of creation, this artwork, piece of art, and how it made them feel, and so on. And that, in fact, matters, because we are not in life alone, and I am not creating just out of some need to get something out of my system. I'm not creating to satisfy my ego. I am trying to do something with all these various things and in various ways that will go out into the world, do something that is good and beneficial in some way. There are so many different ways that something can help, that can be done in the worlds and realms of art. So it's extremely meaningful when I hear back from someone, when someone completes the circle of art, uh, in my case as well. I try to do it for others. I talk often about other creative people's works and uh, I try to let them, in some cases they won't of course be hearing or seeing what I have to say because they may no longer be alive or they may be uh, very famous or you know they might not have even if they knew that I was uh, saying this about them and their work they just might not end up hearing it or seeing it in any way and uh, that's just normal and how the world works but I was trying to say that it's very meaningful for me when I hear how somebody has felt after experiencing something I've created. Again, that's a lot of people seem to misunderstand uh, this for some reason. I don't think they are uh, making the right assumptions or maybe they have heard some bad interpretations about this, some very old-fashioned ideas about you should be happy with just the creation and uh, and that's it. I think a lot of people misunderstand and think that there's self-love or narcissism involved in wanting to hear comments from others. That's not the case in my own case, I know that. I can only speak for myself. 
Instead, what I'm talking about is how, in some way, uh, creation doesn't fully exist until it's gone all the way around that circle. When the artist sees the audience affected in some positive or helpful way, things can be, again, I'm repeating this, things can be meaningful and good in many different ways. Even shocking things or dark things can have positive effects. This is such a simple thought that I'm struggling to express it well. I'm trying to use too many words to express something very simple. I think that just like people who do theater, well, they could do performances where there's nobody in the audience, but would they feel as satisfied? Would they feel that they are doing in this life meaningful things compared to how they feel when there's an audience and the audience has clearly gotten something good out of the performance. To me, there's no question. The latter is the ideal, to have an audience. Now I'm suddenly reminded of something I wanted to remember to say here. It was part of that whole tumble of thoughts. Recently I've uh, from time to time checked out these very short videos on YouTube featuring writer Alan Moore giving pieces of advice about writing. And uh, first I want to say that I have a great respect for Alan Moore and uh, I believe I have learned a lot from him and his works and also in the past I at one point I had printed out every single interview that was available online at that point all interviews with Alan Moore and I had read them carefully because he was saying so many interesting and useful things about creativity and lots of other things and I mentioned him in a recent episode about how he has described that at some point he had stopped being several different different Alan Moores. He had become just one Alan Moore who takes care of the laundry, takes out the garbage, the trash, uh, writes everything, explores various occult matters and so on, and is always the same person. There's no personas involved. Um, so there's no artificial separation like some artists try to cultivate on purpose. They try to be the star. Anyway, I wanted to now get back to what I started talking about. These YouTube videos where Alan Moore is giving advice on writing. And I already made it clear that I have great respect for him. And I believe these pieces of advice have worked great for him. But I noticed something already many years ago. I can no longer really get into anything Alan Moore has written because 
he does everything and he seemed to be advising in these videos doing everything it was the opposite of what works for me which is leaving room for the audience to imagine and uh, extrapolate and uh, you know this may sound fancy or complicated if i use words like that i usually wouldn't even be using such words but what i mean is is that for example alan moore said that you should create such a detailed world this is just a paraphrase and i apologize for not quoting directly mr moore deserves a direct quote rather than a paraphrase but i didn't write this down anywhere but he was basically advocating creating worlds of such texture and detail and characters of such detail that you would know everything about them in a nutshell that was the direction of his advice about writing to me that's the opposite of what i would recommend and of course people can judge for themselves whether to listen to alan moore or me i'm just me you could also say it's just alan moore but you know i don't mean that in a in an insulting way i'm trying to emphasize all the time that i have great respect for him and he must believe really that these are good pieces of advice but what i find happens psychologically for me when i try to read or when i last tried to read it's been many years now actually when i think about it when i tried to read his latest works and also went back to some of his earlier works i found the early work better because it did leave more to the imagination and he hadn't filled in so much detail that there was no longer room for me as the person experiencing the story for example i would never have any thoughts about i wonder what this character was doing when he or she was young or i wonder what happened after this moment because it's all been so filled in that there's no longer room to imagine anything and um, i would use as an example of the opposite of this something that might make listeners not take me seriously now because they may dismiss this example if we think about the original star trek series from the 1960s it actually did an amazing job of giving just enough detail to each of the characters the main ones especially the main three especially um it was designed to be mainly about the three characters of kirk spock and mccoy what was given to us in that series about those three characters it left so much to the imagination we didn't know about every single step of captain kirk's life or all the love affairs he had had and with whom he slept at what point how he did in school exactly in the movie series we learn something about his experiences at the academy and a particular computer simulation in particular but all the rest was up to us to imagine and in the case of mr spock 
there were a couple of episodes in particular where we learned quite a lot about his background. We met his parents and then later we got to visit his home planet. But it was a single location on that planet and we saw a matriarch of that planet and met a few other Vulcans. Of course, Mr. Spark himself was half Vulcan, half human. My point is that that was still not anywhere near to being too much information. That fired the imagination for a younger me. I don't spend a lot of time these days thinking about these characters or this story world, but I admire how well it got this balance of giving us some indication of what the past was for these characters, but not suffocating us with detail about it. So for example, at this point in various contexts, I believe the whole family trees of Captain Kirk and Mr. Spock have been mapped out. We probably have met or, I mean, people who have continued following these later versions of this story world that matters to me only in a very abstract way these days. They probably could tell that Captain Kirk was born in this year, in this place. His family consisted of these members, parent situation, cousins, all the friends he had, exactly what school he went to, um, every step of his life. And at that point, I'm out. Because why am I even there if the writers and makers of those series and films and books and comics and computer games and audiobooks and so on are going to do all the work for me? They are doing the fun part, the imagining or I should say this another way, they are doing both of the fun parts, which is one part too many, because as a creator, it's joyful to create something that then also leaves room to imagine more, but if you then also put down those other imaginings, which of course a lot of fan fiction does, and that's why I only read fan fiction when I was very young because I wanted to get to know what all kinds of fan fiction are there and there were some good writers and some people were doing interesting things but of course then all this headed in my own experience in the same direction which was that I only want to know a certain amount but no more so I don't want all those missing links filled in. When I was younger, you know, after seeing an episode of Star Trek from a portable black and white TV, which was the only way that channel was able to be seen in my home at that point of my childhood, after that we often went outside to play because, you know, we had a yard and in the winter we would make snow labyrinths mazes. We would stomp them freely out of the snow and uh, have all kinds of imaginary adventures. And that was because there was still room for imagination. It was more fun to go out and play without any props even. 
or you know even a boulder of snow could be a prop and there didn't need to be a chair in order to pretend that he has a throne it would be enough to just have a place to sit it could be a rock or again a snow bank or whatever and um, so at some point when I started realizing these things that I just don't want to know too much and I don't want to spend any more time watching these series these endless series fill in all the details that aren't even that interesting because really biographical detail only has a certain amount of interesting information possible to include sorry that wasn't really well phrased I mean that there's only a certain amount of interest that can be gleaned from biographical detail more important is what's happening inwardly and uh, in terms of uh, more meaningful things than what year something happened and what was the exact school that someone went to and uh, you know there's a lot of stuff about our lives also maybe we are also characters in some stories who knows but in this thing that we call real life there are many things that just aren't that interesting we should understand uh, or be able to understand that the same can be true of fiction who these days for example goes watch one of these series I could name many other series I'm just using Star Trek as an example because it was something that did used to mean a lot to me and I can still see a lot to admire about its creation and uh, how really clever it was about these things what to leave to the imagination creatively there were so many choices done really well oh yes yeah uh, I was just going to say that I can't believe that anyone comes out of watching the 400th piece of something called by a certain trademarked name still feeling like true excitement their imagination is going when they go to work they are wondering uh, gee I wonder what that character was like when she or he was younger or uh, I wonder what, what, what were her parents like or what caused her or him to be this way you could imagine all those things before you had the answers but once you know the answers that oh okay this character is supposed to be this way because there was an abusive person and we now know the exact name of the person and what was done to the character and um, that is supposed to explain the character and why he or she is the way the character is well first of all then we could go on a tangent here and uh, say that it, it doesn't work that simply in real life either and it shouldn't work that simplistically in stories either there are often very complex psychological events that can come to play for example in situations of abuse and uh, you can't reduce anyone's life to single incidents like that that oh this is why you are the way you are
I wanted to mention as an example of the opposite of what I was criticizing here, what David Lynch has done. He showed something very important among many other things, but this was one of the things that he proved about continuing series with season three of Twin Peaks, namely that they don't necessarily have to end up giving too much information because he didn't. He managed to find ways to keep going forward and to keep going deeper but it wasn't about bringing aboard uh, Agent Cooper's family members, cousins, past buddies, uh, same for the other members. This kind of thing usually happens and it started to happen in Twin Peaks Season 2 when both David Lynch and Mark Frost were occupied with other projects. David Lynch himself in particular wasn't there for part of Season 2 because he was also engaged in other projects, also important ones. And at that point, some of the writers decided to introduce family members like in a soap opera. So here's Norma's mom, and um, here's this old buddy of this character, and uh, it seemed um, despairing in that way that they started filling in details that simply weren't that important or interesting. Because, for example, to use the character of Norma Jennings as an example here, Norma Jennings and the Double R Diner and Ed, the character called Ed, they are completely enough. And also Shelley is part of that. A group of people that are just completely enough on their own. Their lives, the way they were set out originally, you don't need to add, and in fact you end up detracting from it if you add um, incidental details or characters and make it into something less than it was when there was less shown or revealed. You know the saying, less is more. It can really work this way that when you are giving something that fires the imagination, then it's best to know where to stop and not add more because the value can be in that lack of more you can fill it in in your imagination or you might not even need to be thinking about it at all I mean this is not a necessary task for any viewer or reader or listener with any story because often it's enough and it's a lovely clean experience for example when we see Norma Jennings and uh, Agent Cooper and Sheriff Truman in um, the early stages of Twin Peaks. It's enough. I, I really want to emphasize this, so I'm trying to deploy my extra special emphasis voice here. Uh, <laughs> sorry, that was very stupid. It can be enough. You don't need to know anything about their backgrounds beyond 
beyond having just what makes you understand uh, the emotional uh, dimensions to a certain extent. But even then, you may not fully be aware of all the factors. I only just very recently watched again the film Twin Peaks Firewalk With Me, which is so much like season three of Twin Peaks. It feels like with season three, David Lynch just picked up where he left off. And what a love letter that is. Um, sorry. Um, Twin Peaks, Firewalk With Me, I mean. And uh, especially when you see the missing pieces, there are uh, about an hour and a half's worth of missing pieces, which are either deleted or extended scenes. And they are available on the Blu-ray set, for example, or sets. There have been now several. They were edited by David Lynch himself, so they are exactly like you were getting to see more of the series. None of them are throwaway or poor in image quality. They have the same exact quality as the film itself. But um, uh, I, I was making another point about... Oh yes, uh, I came to talk about Twin Peaks Firewalk with me because... I wanted to mention one of these missing pieces. There are so many of them and they are so great. One of them features Norma in a moment of what becomes quiet desperation. Um, she breaks down crying because of things that we know about her life and uh, its difficulties. The kind of trap she is in, in some ways but we hadn't seen that side quite that way before. It added further depth to her. I mean, she is a lovely character and uh, played by a lovely, perfectly chosen actress. So, I mean, it was already great what was there before, but I was particularly moved by this missing piece. The other day I was watching the full set from beginning to end. It's an hour and a half, so it really is like another film um, showing things that weren't shown before. Yes, this moment, there was no exposition. In other words, there was no dialogue explaining what is going through her mind. This is one of the things that David Lynch is so good at. He lets us make our own conclusions about why did she break down crying just now. We know the general uh, direction and the general answer of that, but we might not know everything because we haven't been drowned under information about this character or her situation. I think that might be a good place to end. Okay, bye.